Welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged, and this is the Orla Shinui episode. On today's pod, we find out about her idea of heaven, which, understandably, has seriously reliable Wi Fi. She's had a fascinating career path, from reporting live at George Best's funeral to becoming one of the most revered sports broadcasters in cycling. Stay tuned because this episode is a real cracker. Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again Matt Stevens unplugged by Sigma Sports Yeah Ola Shinui is a great friend and colleague Someone I look up to and get inspiration from As one of the very best journalists ever to make the transition to cycling When she's not on air, she's busy being a mum in a new home of Amsterdam As well as spending her time fighting for equality in sport And especially women's cycling but does she know her mini cheddars from her Walker Square crisps? Let's find out. Well, Ola Shinui, I can't th- thank you very much for coming on. Um, it's kind of weird, isn't it, that we've had this year where we normally work together and we haven't have actually seen each other in real life. Yeah, I mean, it kind of sums up 2020, doesn't it? <laughs> Everything has just been through Zoom and remote contact. It's just really strange. And yet I feel like I've I've been following your year so closely because we have been sort of working together in a way but um yeah just at distance so it's yeah. yeah it's like it's like with your family at the minute everything is the same isn't it whereby you feel kind of close to them but physically remote from everyone yeah it, it's been a strange one but um first and foremost all thank you so much for coming on onto the show um uh, can you tell us where or for the for the listeners can you tell us where you are and what you can see immediately <laughs> around you please cool. yeah thank you set for the scene me, first of all that's all right set the scene Okay, so I am in my home in Amsterdam. Uh, we just moved in in the summer, and there's lots of building work going on, going on around us. If you hear any banging, that's what it is. It's not like any of my children locked in a corona cupboard. Oh, good stuff. Um, what I can see in front of me is I'm sitting at my kitchen island. I can, like any mother, all I can see is mess, but it's not that bad. Um, I've got dried flowers in front of me. I have got a... Um, baking tray that is drying on the little draining board (laughs) i have got my daughter's sixth birthday cards all folded up and ready to be recycled and um i can see a fan that i that we bought for the like two weeks summer heat wave that i still haven't put away yet um and it's probably just going to sit there and i bought like a bronzy black fan to make me feel like sometimes i'm on safari you know or somewhere (laughs) exotic so it just sits there (laughs) well tell you what that was a a lovely i I always like to ask people if i can if i can remember to do so to give us a feeling for where they are so we can feel like we're almost with you and that was the uh, (laughs) aside from matt white um that was one of the best descriptions i think you set the scene so well i think i actually do feel that i'm there and just to pick up your point on on fans just to my right and I've only moved them out of our bedroom I don't know since I got back from the Giro are two big stand-up fans as well I mean but they've been gathering dust in our bedroom until you kind of just realize that I just don't need these anymore so that they're you to my right they're there. yeah they become weird. like a house accessory and only that you asked me what I could see I thought bloody hell that fan's still sitting there what's that there for it's winter <laughs> Well, thanks for setting the scene so so beautifully. Um, and as you just alluded to, we've kind of been following each other. I think we we all do in this kind of yeah. game, don't we, nowadays, on social media, etc. I know we've pinged a couple of texts to each other. But uh, I know you're in Amsterdam. And first and foremost, it's a city that I, I know and have been to once or twice, but not for at least 25 years. I mean, mm. what a beautiful place. Oh, Matt, I bore people senseless with this. I mean, I'm, I'm so in love with this city. It's insane. But the thing is, we moved here two years ago, just over two years ago. And I was the same as you. I, had, I hadn't I had been here in 20 years. Right. And I'd only been for like one short weekend in my university years. So obviously, my experience was entirely different to moving the family over here. Yeah. But my husband got offered a job here and... Um, I just kind of thought, well, yeah, let's give it a go. Let's see what it's like. But I, I genuinely had no idea what I would think of it. I didn't even remember it being as beautiful as it is or, um, you know, I had no appreciation before I moved here of what kind of a difference it would make to be riding your bike everywhere. Just all of it. It, it is, I've fallen over the city every single day and it yeah. just makes me so happy. It's such a zen place. I love it. I love it so much. Has there been anything apart from the ability to kind of explore where you live more and, and spend that important time 
with your family, you know, whilst working at the same time. Have you um, actually found something specific and different that that you've become interested in, or or have you just kind of just I kind of just discovered the area more and spent more time with your family. Or have you managed to find another completely new pursuit out of all of this? Oh, I wish I could say I'd find a new pursuit, <laughs> Matt. I just haven't had the blinking time. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> um, at the start of lockdown, I, I said to my husband, I was like, right, this is it. This is my chance. I'm going to spend all of this free time <laughs> yeah. uh, becoming fluent in Dutch. That was my plan. Okay. I mean, once they close the schools, it's like, Help! Help! Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna hide under a chair to get some time to myself, or lock the toilet door and just sit there for five minutes, not on the toilet, just right. like hiding. Just, just time, um, time to yourself. Just yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I haven't had much time. That's fine. That's fine. I've just enjoyed living actually and making the most of of being busy. You know, I've I've, I've really enjoyed the chaos actually because. Um, you know, when you've got young kids, that period doesn't last forever. So I'm just trying to sure. make the most of that. It's fun. It's fun. It's been good. Fair enough. I mean, in terms of in terms of the broadcasting, how have you coped with this kind of new way of broadcasting? Because it's it is so different. It's not something that any of us would have expected. Of course, you've done radio before. You've worked on the well. You're working in in television, but now working in this kind of weirdly isolated, disconnected way. How have you? kind of cope with that have you just kind of rolled with it or have you had to adapt your kind of style have you had to amplify um anything or have you changed anything how have you kind of coped with this way that we kind of now broadcast yeah it's it's been weird actually um i mean not to bang too much the gratitude drum i'm really grateful that i've had any work because like all of us here freelance you know when, yeah. when events started being cancelled you just look at the year ahead and you think man this is going to be rough you know we're not going to earn any money and and what does the future hold? Will work go back to what it was before? You know, no, when exactly, will racing yeah. start? And if it starts, do they need the roles that we do? You know, or will yeah. it all be stripped back to basics? Um, but mostly, you know, I've, I've done broadcasts from home, which has been weird. So for the Tour de France and for the Giro and the Vuelta, I've been in a studio, uh, like the Eurosport Dutch headquarters out here. Sure. But I did like this. I've done quite a bit of... Um, remote television or online stuff as well uh from home yeah. and that's been really weird because it's a strange concept right so you know this but for most people listening who've never done tv or done stuff in front of a camera yeah. you get used to what level of energy you give to it um yes. so for example um jim white who's like the sky sports legend will always say you take yourself and you add like about 10% to your personality yeah. for live yeah. TV. You know, you've yeah. got to up your game for everything. Everything is like amped up. Yeah. And I get that. I understand how that works and how you fill the airspace of a live studio, if that makes sense, how you're yeah. supposed to come across because, you know, you spend years watching yourself back and you try to get that balance. Yeah. When you're doing it from a bedroom <laughs> and 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 you don't have the production around you yeah then then you've got to work out how that's coming across and it sounds really really strange but you know the first couple of times i did this um week-long retrospective of london 2012 with eurosport yeah, and so that, yeah. i was doing yeah it was really good fun and it was really i really enjoyed it because it was so well produced but i was able to work from home but we still had sort of television values and production values to it but um I just couldn't work out to begin with, you know, how how straight I was supposed to sit in my chair, for example, or should I be a bit more like, I mean, I'm I'm making the gestures here, which is completely pointless <laughs> of our audio, but I'm sort of get it, get it, I'll paint a picture, sort of lounging here, you know, and looking like it's all a bit free and easy, and welcome to my home, you know, come on in, um, and I didn't know whether to like chill it out a little bit more or whether I still needed to amp it up quite so much. So that took a little bit of time to get used to, really. And also then it's a weird situation whereby, um, you know, you switch on a persona whenever you're broadcasting, or, or I do anyway. And and you can do that quite easily because you're in a different environment and you're surrounded yeah. by people who play the game with you. Yeah. If you're surrounded by your family, so my husband's doing Zoom calls in the next room and my kids are downstairs and they all of a sudden hear mommy's broadcast voice and it feels really weird. So you feel like you're sort of trying to retreat within yourself a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it was a really weird experience and I wasn't expecting it. Um, and then you've got the, the situation whereby you're controlling all the technology yourself. So if the Wi-Fi goes and, you know, next door suddenly streaming like 10 movies, whatever it might be, and your Wi-Fi cuts mid-broadcast, um, that all adds to the stress of it. So, yeah, there were lots of things I wasn't quite expecting, but it was yeah. a fun discovery. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, again, I've done quite a lot of interviews via, via Zoom. There's been a couple of gigs that I've had where, I've had varying degrees of production equipment brought into my home, which I've had to some some of it I've had to install myself. Some we've had te- I've had technicians round, and but most of the time it's just me, my laptop, and an Ethernet connection, and a light, yeah. and a, and, a, yeah. and a mic. But one of the most important things about interviewing or you know having conversations with somebody like, like now I can't see you, but I'm mm-hmm. I, as you probably know, as you as you do know, I use my hands all the time. Now <laughs> yeah. you can't see what my hands are doing, but they are they are currently. Um, either side of me, like I'm holding two bags of flour, and um, <laughs> but but trying to trying to convey that those kind of NVCs, those nonverbal communications via yeah. a, a kind of computer screen, is really really odd, isn't it? It's and you really- do have you do have to try and adapt. It's just there's a kind of it's not like bad. It's just very very different. And I find I found it quite hard to be perfectly honest with you. Because also, like, so we can't see each other right now. So I'm sort of talking to my dried flowers. That's fine. <laughs> but if you if your face is on my laptop and I look at your eyes, as you naturally are drawn to do, yeah. then the camera picks up that you're not looking at the camera. So for the viewer oh, at God, home, yeah, yeah. you're not looking at them. And so that took quite a while for me to get used to because then I – I'm looking. I'm trying to look at where the little hole is on my laptop where the camera is. Yeah. But then I can't see the reaction of the person I'm talking to, and you feed yeah. off that reaction. You know, that's what makes exactly. fun human interaction. Yeah. So that took a little bit of time to get used to as well. And then if I've done anything that's taken a lot of, you know, I've got a lot of notes to make, for example. Yeah. Um. Obviously, there's no auto cue, so you're either trying to memorize everything which yep. is fine or you've got notes up to the side and you're trying to snoogly look at notes to the side without looking shifted, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. looking on camera yeah so yeah it's really it's just all those funny little funny little things but yeah that that non-verbal communication I mean I do the same I talk with my hand all yep. the time um and yeah that that sort of trying to contain that within a laptop frame is much harder then yeah. it, you can be quite expansive in a studio or live on location, you know, but you can't do that if your arms, are, your hands are sort of disappearing off screen. It just looks a little bit um, unelegant, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it it is an odd one. I was commentating last night for Zwift and it just cropped my hair. All it was was my head and shoulders <laughs> and, 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 a, and a green screen. So I was in vision, but then I, then I, I realized that I, was, I had an itch behind my knee and I was scratching. Then my head disappeared out of shot. And I, and I had to pop by. I keep forgetting that when I, you know, normally when I'm commentating, I'm not in vision and I can pretty much do, yeah. do anything with my body as it, as it were. Um, but no, it's it, 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 exactly, you know, or chew a wine gum or something like that. But no, it's, um, it's, I think first and foremost, it's strange, but when you kind of step back away from it, all it's doing is giving us another way and it's an, it's another skill set that we're learning because yeah, yeah. this is going to be with us for a little while isn't it let's be perfectly honest with you i know there's the glimmers of hope on the horizon in relation to a vaccine and stuff but i can see without being you know too much of a doomsayer that this is going to be the way we're going to work for at least the next half a year or so so we've got kind of got to get used to it and actually adapt and and make the best of it yeah and you know what there's so many positives from it as well that yeah. i've really enjoyed so for example during the tour de france so usually we're on location and to get an interview, you've got to you know, go through the press officer or you contact people directly if you've got a good relationship with them. But yep. then you've got to organize all the logistics. You know, you've yep. got to get to the same place as them at the same time, get through all the road closures and, and you know, where you need to swipe your pass and all the rest of it, get the camera there and coordinate it perfectly in the middle of this traveling circus. Yes. And anything less than that before hasn't been good enough because, you know, we get everything to a certain quality, a certain standard, and the viewer is used to watching um, a certain level of interview. However, because we've been so used to watching people's Insta lives and Zooms and, and everything, then yep. this year I've been able to call people, you know, while they're in the car. So, you know, team bosses or DSs while they're driving along in the car of a race and talk to them live while we are, you know, while they're in the middle of a race. Now, before, we wouldn't have had that no, um, right. instantaneous reaction from them because if the Wi-Fi drops out, we'd say, oh, that's unusable. That's not broadcast quality. Well, now it's become broadcast quality, you know, to a certain level. But it, 
I find that it means we actually get more access to things for yeah. now at least. Um, so that's been a lot of fun, I think. We don't have to jump through the same television hoops that we have done before. We can just use our phones and they can use their phones and we can hook up and record it. And um, yeah, yeah, I think I, it's, I, it's a lot of positives. No, I think so. I mean, before we, we kind of move on, I, I do agree. I think um, the amount of people that I've spoken to in, in like internationally that we wouldn't have done before because mm. it would have fallen far below the production standards that we would have we would have wanted or desired, you know. But now it is the norm. It might be a bit grainy. The background might be a little bit odd, but essentially we're becoming better and better at it. And it, and it's become and and when you look at like television, you know, not just a. Not just the stuff that, um, not just online stuff, but television production has had to adapt accordingly as well. And it, it was a bit kind of, it grated a bit at first, but we've become very, very attuned to it. And it is kind of the new normal, really. And also, I think it says a lot about us that we're willing to put up with those kind of production values because what we want is human interaction. We want to exactly. hear from people, we want human stories. Yeah. And that's what we're all about. You know, we're all about communication and sharing and. Um, you know, just the sharing of narrative. And that's what's yeah. really come through for me this year, whether it be, you know, Zoom quizzes with your families and your yep. friends or whatever. I think it reminds us that we're social creatures and we need to be sociable. Um, and that for me is a positive step in television because it's not all about the, um, the, the quality, it's about the substance. You know? yeah. oh, that, no, that, they're not contradictory, but you know what I mean? It's not I all know, about no, it, the superficial. Exactly. It's, about, it's about the substance to it, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, just I mean, if we can just sort of go back in time a little bit, and we talk about, I mean, you clearly love communicating. You're an exceptionally wonderful communicator. Okay. You know, I've seen you in action so many occasions now. There's a real joy, and there's the way you kind of look somebody in the eye and you kind of listen, as well as being a great orator, you're, you're able to kind of, put people at ease and get the best out of people and you clearly I'm just wondering when when you go back to your kind of formative years uh, and I know you were you know an exceptional athlete in in your early in your earlier days uh, performing at kind oh, of national right. level you were you, 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 you were giving it the big the big up <laughs> and well you know you know people people can do their research and they'll find out that you were you're a very an exceptional athlete but at what point did you decide that the kind of the journalistic route was for you and and kind of what was the catalyst? Were you always somebody that were looking, like speaking to people? Were you, did you, I know you read a lot as well, but, but at what point did you decide this was the path that you wanted to go down? Um, do you know what? It's really hard when you look back on decisions that you've made or paths that you've taken and not infuse it with what's come since yeah, then, sure. you know, and you look back and you think, well, it's inevitable. So it's, it's hard to pinpoint um, a moment. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because whenever you say about me being a communicator, I just had a flashback to a dream I had last night. And <laughs> okay, I woke up talk us in through. Cold sweat, right? Because yeah. because I don't know if you've. This is going to go way off on a tangent. Have you seen Fine. the Good Place on Netflix? Yes, I right, have. Okay. Uh, so Holly anyone, got me into it. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. So, um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the Good Place is about. Oh no, I can't. I can't do a spoiler. Oh man. Anyway, you, you let's give forget a, about the good place. Okay. Anyway, anyway right, so I dreamt last night that um, I had died oh. and I'd gone to a, like a level of heaven, right? Okay, yeah. And I, But I was descending down levels, like almost in an elevator. And I got down to a, I got down to a certain level. Right. And um, I had no Wi-Fi on my phone. And, in and in heaven, was, no Wi-Fi in, in heaven. heaven. No okay, Wi-Fi, right. No Wi-Fi in heaven. <laughs> Brilliant, and, yeah. I was trying to WhatsApp somebody and I couldn't WhatsApp from this level of heaven. And I was like, hang on a minute, guys. This ain't heaven because in heaven, I can talk to everybody whenever I want. And I woke up thinking, is that my version of heaven? That I just wow. chat all the time. Um, but I wasn't in heaven because I had no Wi-Fi. And that meant that I couldn't communicate with people anyway. And that's, oh. um, that's totally, that's totally on I mean, I, I think all of what we'll have to do, we'll have to schedule another podcast just to disseminate <laughs> and analyze, forensically pick apart that dream, if that's okay. Yeah, but I think yeah. that, uh, sorry, that's... That just, I'd forgotten about the dream. Anyway, when did I decide I wanted to be a journalist? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've always been a real, real people person. And yeah. I've always had I think, anyway, a really strong sense of empathy. I've, I've, I'm really interested in people and I'm really interested in in their story and, and, you know, how their day's going or what it is they're going through at any given time. I just, it's always fascinated me. And I think because I enjoy human connection, you know, I enjoy um, the sharing of our feelings together, if that's not yeah. too um, 
uh, wishy-washy. No, not at all. Um, but as a kid, I yeah, I wanted to be either a, like an Olympian. That, my dream would have been to go to the Olympics or like a kids TV presenter. I thought that was the absolute dream to be a kids okay. TV presenter until I grew up a little bit and I was like, mm, maybe all that gunge isn't quite so much fun <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> Thing is, you got the let's let's be honest. You got the right energy levels without a shadow of a doubt. A kids' TV presenter. Um, yeah, but know. it would just annoy me after a while. I, I, you know, drop an f bomb here or there. Um, but I actually always wanted to be a, a war correspondent. So right. Kate Eady had been my hero, and and okay. partly because of I felt it was like a really good mix of humanitarian, even though you're supposed to be objective and storytelling. And I always wanted to tell stories that really mattered. And I felt like I always wanted to make a change with my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was in here looking at dried flowers and talking about <laughs> myself. Um, but I, yeah, I just thought that um, going to going to the disenfranchised and being able to tell their story, give a voice to people who didn't have a voice was such a noble thing to do and that's what I always wanted to do um, and that's how I got into journalism I mean I did a law degree mainly because uh, I felt like I needed a degree I think it was even now it's not quite so much like that anymore um, but when I was coming through the ranks you needed a degree in something and I thought law was a good grounding a few of the journalists that I admired had law degrees um, but my plan was always to do a postgrad in journalism afterwards and move through from there so so as I was moving through I always thought I would be foreign correspondent or war correspondent um and yeah then I it just it's just a bit doom and gloom really yeah, like it's sure. really hard I mean I've been to some amazing places through sport actually when I became Olympics correspondent at Sky I went to um a Palestinian refugee camp in Jordan for example and I saw wow. some um AIDS camps in um in Africa not camps sorry but it was like um, a sports facility for kids whose parents had died of AIDS and and I, I got to see these amazing places that had hope in them. Um, yeah. And I feel like I'm, I'm the kind of person who feeds off hope, really. I don't do despair very well. And right. that's what um, I discovered, you know, most of journalism sort of is sort of despair mongering, really. And I, and I don't really like that. And I don't feel it's, I don't feel it's a way that we all have to live our lives. I think we can yeah. li- we can trade and hope instead, and that's yeah. that's where sport came into. I find that it was it was a much more natural fit for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the, the all that's the thing, you know, journalism and all stories have to be told, but you have to be, I think, a certain type of person. You know yourself, and mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. there are points in your life when you kind of realize. I mean, I, I never wanted to be work in journalism particularly. You know, my route's far more torturous and and, and kind of different. Um, but I think you finally be, become acute where well, you become acutely aware over time that you're best suited or, or to a different way of, of certain ways mm. of communicating about dif- different sorts of things. I mean, nothing's kind of off the table, but you, you work to your strengths, I guess, and what you feel yeah. more comfortable d- uh, uh, doing. I mean, that's uh, it is, it's, it's a fascinating journey. I mean, and I'm in terms of the process itself, because I, I don't really like to call uh, stuff like this kind of interviews, because interview kind of suggests something very, very formal. And uh, it's like deconstructing that formality. I mean, mm. w- what do you enjoy most about the whole process of, of conversation? Because essentially, the best interview is really just a conversation, isn't it? I think you get far more out of somebody. I mean, there's certainly, you know, a skeleton, there's certain questions you do have to ask, but essentially, it should be a flowing two-way conversation. And what, what do you like be- best about that? I yeah I really enjoy that conversation but I also really enjoy getting something out of the other person that maybe they didn't expect to give me you know or seeing a glimpse into someone that they haven't necessarily shared very much before um I remember one of the most striking conversations I've ever had was with the champion jockey AP McCoy okay um and he really kindly invited me into his home we sat in his kitchen and I chatted to him for over an hour and we talked about his career and what drove him and what pushed him to such levels of success. Cause I'm fascinated by that because as you say, I mean, I was, I was an athlete as a kid, but I didn't, I didn't think I ever had those reserves where I could dig so deep as to make myself suffer as much as real champions. And I'm fascinated by how you can access that. Yeah. And he spoke to me with such honesty and so, I mean, I was absolutely blown away by the stuff he was telling me and the self-hatred he went through and the abuse he, he foisted upon himself, you know, yeah. and 
and I, when I have a conversation like that, I feel like I'm saying into someone's soul, but I'm also saying into an element of truth about humanity, if that's not too grand a way to say it. You know, I, I feel like part of the reason I'm always curious about people is I feel like we've got so much in common and, and I think we deal with what what we have that separates us, you know, and, and we're taught to yeah. look at other people jealously for example or look at what someone's got that you don't have or we criticize the way that someone else does things because it's not what we do and so it makes us feel safer to be it's critical quite competitive isn't it? it's quite competitive, really yeah 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 i mean life is competitive but i feel like we've got so much that that binds us together and that's always what i'm striving for i think is finding the things that connect people yeah. and so and so whenever i'm sort of digging deep with someone I'm, so I'm often actually looking for answers. You know, I want to know you have found out something about yourself that maybe will teach me something about myself. Yeah. And that's where I find conversations re- really the most rewarding and the most satisfying when someone says something that that resonates with you, but that you know will resonate with a lot of other people as well. You know, it's just that fundamental realness of what we are, I think. Yeah. I, and I think that the most important thing, what you've not so much on earth, but what you've gained when you enter into a, a conversation, a discourse like that. I mean, it's fundamentally one of the most important things that connects us all is trust. Yeah, if you can get yeah, trust yeah, in an yeah, interview, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like when I, I mean, I think I learned more, I think in the, in the police, I think I learned how to broadcast. Mm-hmm. It was in a completely different way. Yeah, Just the, yeah. the interview process and like speaking to, we've had this conversation kind of off the record as well, mm-hmm. but uh, speaking to offenders and victims, um, you have to unearth, all sorts of things. You, you try, you, you're quite. You're trying to kind of unlock evidence. For example, you're trying to you're trying to gather gather evidence from people. But mm-hmm. most most importantly, and this is speaking to some of the worst people in in the world and, and some of the most vulnerable is is trust. You, you wouldn't mm-hmm. think you can actually get trust with somebody who's offended, but you can. And um, getting trust is once you've got that, it just opens up this completely different world. Um, the questions are less bland, and and I don't know. It's something pretty special. But I think. And that's quite rewarding. And I think once you've got trust, you then can venture even further and, be, and become confident yeah. that you can ask, answer more difficult questions that you might have actually shied away away from before. But this is where you're so good, Matt. And I think that sometimes when people are watching at home, they think it's easy to be standing there asking questions because they think that that's all you're doing, you know, yeah. and that it's easy to get a good answer out of someone. But I know from better experience of standing outside team buses years and years and years, um, how hard it is to A, get someone to come, even come over and talk to you, yeah. and B, to give you anything half decent, and certainly when there are 10 microphones in their face, to be the one microphone that they direct themselves towards. And this is where you are absolutely brilliant, and I hope that people at home do realize that, because what you, I see it so clearly when I'm watching you interviewing anyone there's always a spark in their eye to begin with, you know, that little sparkle, which is a connection between the two of you. You always know that they're in on whatever it is that you're doing, whether, you know, it's a straight question or a joke question, whatever it is. Yeah. But I know that that comes from, like, I always think the interview is like the tip of the iceberg. You don't see what, everything that's going on underneath sure. to make that interview happen, even if it's like a 30 second, you know, quick stand up outside a team bus. But I always see that with you. You've always got that that connection with the riders that you're talking to. And that means that they'll always give you something interesting. They'll always stop and talk to you. And they'll always allow you to be a bit cheeky or a bit funny or yeah. or ask questions that get something different out of them. You know, and, and that's where I think you're exceptional, actually. There are no, very that, few people that can do that. No, that, that's that's very, very kind. But, you know, because it, it's... <laughs> It's interesting that you raise that point because having seen again, and this isn't just talking about me and you, Hill. Though we're trying to, talk, we're obviously trying to talk <laughs> about you and that. But it's, I think, what I'm trying to do is people who are listening to this. It, I just want people to have a bit of a fuller understanding and more of an insight into what yeah. it takes to do what you do. And it's not just you don't just flick a switch and start to speak to somebody. There's, mm-hmm. as you just illustrated, when you go into the team buses or whoever you, you're kind of interviewing. There is groundwork to be to be done, and there's also, I mean, quite often you won't actually get the opportunity, especially in a scrum, to actually talk to that athlete beforehand. Sometimes you do, but there is a lot of work leading up to that particular mm-hmm. point. And the tip of the iceberg, it's, I've never really heard it called called that before. But that thirty second soundbite that you get, or that one minute interview, there's a lot of work, and and um, it's and I'm sure you've experienced it when. You're, you're in a media scrum. You've got a couple of questions lined up pertinent to the situation. And then 
another reporter asks exactly the same kind of question. Or and then, but it's one of those ones where everybody picks it up, so you can't ask the same one. So you've got to have this kind of rolodex of different questions, and yeah. also to come off the back of, you know, their kind of mood that they, they might not be in a particularly good place. So you've got to you've got to be really adaptive and and kind of adapt and, and be dynamic and, and resilient because it's they're not all sterile situations, are they? They're they're mostly not in this sport, you know. They're mostly um, the rider will have been through, you know, even if it's just at the start of a race, they'll have been through all the training and all the emotions and all the build up to that race. Um, but also, you have been through whatever it is, you know, whenever you're doing incredibly long transfers and you're absolutely exhausted and you're missing your family and you're not sleeping and you're not eating properly. You get in late at night whenever the hotels are closed. And yet you have to stand there with a smile on your face and be the one who's got their thoughts together. And also all the while knowing that every bugger at home is judging whatever question you ask and how you ask it, you know, because like I say, it, it looks so easy, but all it takes is one flash of lack of concentration. And that's it. You look like a, bozo you know and, and you're aware of all of that as it's happening so you know there's the fluidity of your situation their situation all the emotions and the exhaustion and, and all everything that rides on it it's so yeah it's, it's, it's not it's yeah I'm not, I'm not saying it's a, like a really hard job but it's it's just there's there's so much more to it I think talking about I mean just to move away we'll come back to cycling in a bit but I was just looking doing a little bit of research um the other day ahead of this and I, and I, I found out that your first kind of live reporting gig when you're working for Sky was George Best's funeral. <laughs> now, that, I mean, um, I don't know how many people actually know that, but but that must have been, that's that's kind of in at the deep end stuff, isn't it? And that's just not a run of, I mean, George Best, an, an absolute legend, of course, but that's just not, that's, you've got to get that right because that, that could have, if you had got that wrong, Orla, it, you know, it's not one that you could just brush under the carpet. That could have been almost like a career ender, couldn't it? If you got Absolutely. it wrong. Absolutely. You know um, briefly and- talk about that to, to us. Oh, gosh, that was such a stressful experience. It was so stressful. The thing is, like, if you've come from, I mean, I worked at Scottish television before that. So it wasn't it wasn't so much regional television, you know, it was it was national, but it wasn't UK wide and it wasn't the level of sky. And yeah you know you walk into a sky newsroom for the first time and it is just so intimidating it is terrifying um and and so already I was thinking oh like even thinking about it makes me feel a bit sick now you know I had a constant for years I had a constant just like nausea in my stomach 20 every time every second that I was awake because I was Ireland correspondent and I was you know you're on call all the time um but this was the first gig and it was um it was such a big deal they had flown in huge crews from london for this you know so you had your biggest anchors you had kay burley coming over to anchor and um, eamon holmes was anchoring and he was speaking at the funeral you know it's wow. my first time meeting all of these people and huge production teams with their swanky london accents and you know they yeah. all everybody looks like they know what they're doing because that's how you get through, you know, and there's me, yep. this little girl from the countryside in Northern Ireland. Um, but yeah, so I was positioned at the end of George Best's street. Um, and so he was uh, coming out, he was coming out, sorry, his body was being taken out um, in a coffin. And I was there from first thing in the morning. And my job was to, you know, we had different reporters stationed at different uh, stages along the, the funeral route. Yeah. Um, and my, my job was first, you know, I was the I was the one that was kicking off the day, which in itself was terrifying. Um, but the the whole place, the whole street was packed with people, you know, with, with well-wishers and mourners and, and rubberneckers, let's be honest, you know. Yeah. Um, and we had a helicopter up in the air and, and uh, me and my producer were at the end of the street. So I was supposed to be doing, you know, reflecting the somber mood of Northern Ireland and putting it all into context and, and sure. just describing what was happening as it was being taken out of um, of his family home. Um, and so I was I was live maybe every half an hour or something um, for a couple of hours. And, um, you know, in between, it's freezing cold. And in between, you know, you're supping in your cups of tea and sausage rolls and trying to stay yep. warm and trying to stay alert and all the rest of it. Um, and every time they came to me, I was just, terrified because this you know it's my first time live on on sky news and you know you're being judged by it by the bosses by your colleagues 
Anyway, so I thought, yeah, that's it. I've got through it. Excellent. They stood me down. They said, that's wonderful. Orla Kay is now off at Stormont. She'll take over from here. Um, good job. And I'm thinking, boom, shakalak, I've done it, you know, right. um, or at least I've not disgraced myself. Um, and then about 15 minutes later, we were just packing up and we got a phone call saying, actually, um, something's wrong with Kay's feed. We need you to keep reporting from there. And of course, now I would say, well, I've moved away from the edge of the, the road. Like I can't see anything anymore. But I didn't dare say that in case that was the wrong thing to have done, you know, in case I was supposed to stand there watching the procession go past right. um, until the last minute. Um, so anyway, so I was like three, four, five people back then at this stage. And they said, oh, don't worry, you're not in vision. We just need to hear your voice. You need to just commentate over what's happening. And I'm like, I can't see what's happening. I don't know. <laughs> so I started having to make it up. Um, so I had a producer stuck up a tree who was trying to hand signal to me um, oh and make God. gestures as to what was happening. And I was sort of guessing her hand gestures at the same time as trying to stay calm, sound <laughs> calm, sound Oh my gosh, I know. It was just, it was just so stressful. Anyway, I got through it. And on the Monday morning, the head of Sky News called me up and said, you know, there's a reason that people like you do what you do and people like me do what I do. And he said, I could never have done what you did. Thank you. That was amazing. And and someone had told him that I couldn't actually see at that stage. And he said, you know, wow. um, I really appreciate that you, that you carried on with it anyway. That was wonderful. And I remember I remember driving home um, to my parents' place after that, and I was listening to um, I was listening to the ceremony on the radio, and, and uh, Brian I always forget his name Brian Kennedy Brian okay. Kennedy was singing "You Raise Me Up." in the ceremony on the way home and I, I just bawled my eyes out. I was wow. just so moved by the stress of the situation and having survived it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what it does to you, the job. It just, it's such a roller coaster. It's just crazy, crazy. Uh, that is an, an amazing story. Um, you know, again, you have a wonderful way as well of setting the scene. I was there on the street watching you. Um, amazing. Yeah, right. I was there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> sorry, no, I wasn't. I wasn't actually there. No, 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 no. Oh, I wasn't there, Orla. Just no. That wasn't the first time we've met. Oh my god. Let's change the subject rapidly. Um, we, 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 we're going to move on in a bit, Orla. Sorry about that. To your. Um, interest in in cycling but what we what we're going to do halfway we're, we're 40 minutes in already you, you are an amazing talker um but what i've there's a section of the podcast uh, that we've done since i think it's since day one actually it's called guess that snack um, um where we've got a little jingle uh, sung by cecile utrop ludwig and um we shall play that now because I'm going to um, get some snacks and I'm going to crunch them in my mouth. I'm going to read mm -hmm. them out to you first to give you an idea of what they are, of course. Then you, just by the sound of, of the crunch, have to guess what snack I'm chewing. So, guess that snack, guess that snack, oh yeah, guess that snack. <laughs> That's what about production value there? Well, that's pretty good. That isn't was it? wonderful, actually. I thought that was really good. Thanks so much. Definitely I'm just going to give it gusto, doesn't she? She was a lovely yeah. voice. I'm just going to reach yeah. across and get the snacks. One second. Right. Oh, right. Here we are. Let me just uh, pop my headphones back in. That was a bit of a longer reach than I thought. Okay, <laughs> we've got some snacks. All it now. Oh, I've got four four bags of snacks. I'm going to run through them very quickly for you, just to make sure you're familiar with them at first. Okay, sure. so we've got a bag of Smith, sort of Walker's Square Crisps. Remember those? Oh yeah, yeah. love those. Uh, salt and vinegar flavour. Just to yeah. add a little bit of context, we've got a bag of those. Also, we've got some Jacob's Mini Cheddars. Oh, strong. Yes, strong uh, yeah. I mean, I'm smelling them, and they do smell particularly cheddary. Oh yeah, <laughs> they are good. Um, okay, next up we've got, do you remember these? Um, French fries, the really thin, like polystyrene yeah. kind of ones, yeah? Well, they were awful, weren't they? I loved them. I loved yeah. them at the time. They're, they're, they're kind of, there's only like 90, they're, they're like air. There's just nothing of them. Yeah, but yeah, again, crunchy air. Yeah, so, salt and vinegar flavour. And we've also got some crunchy toffee popcorn uh, by Butterkist in a small Ooh. little bag. Okay. Watch your crimes with those, you could have a tooth out. I know. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to be very, very careful indeed. I, I might have it. Well, I'm not going to say. We do sometimes have a stunt double that comes and does the crunching <laughs> for me so I can, can then continue with the podcast. It, yes, indeed. But so we've got French fries. We've got square crisps. We've got mini cheddars. And we've got um, crunchy toffee popcorn. Are you ready, Orla? 
Okay, As I'll ever go. be, Matt. Right. So, first up, placing it into my mouth now is this particular snack. I'm going to come quite close to the microphone. Here we go. It's going in now. Oh, that's the popcorn. Straight off the bat. Okay. Oh, no yeah. hesitation at all from all of there. Straight <laughs> in there. One point. The bag. I knew oh. you can it in your mouth, that one. Really? Just because of the yeah. bag? That's, yeah, because it's, it's a chunkier consistency, isn't it? It is. That's the kind of yeah, detail yeah. that you want on Guess That Snack. I mean, if you can give us as much information, <laughs> um, you're kind of, yeah, you're raison d'etre, as it were. Or you're almost like your mens rea, as you'll know, in law. I don't think that's quite yeah, the yeah. right application. But anyway, okay. <laughs> next up is this. I nearly gave you the answer then, but oh. next one's coming up now. Here we go. They're the squares. They are indeed the squares. Oh, Incredible things here. <laughs> Guess that snack. Two out of two. No hesitation at all. Tell you oh, what. I'm, I'm nervous just no. now. Well... I would be if I were you because you could be getting four out of four here. Yeah. So, okay. Popcorn and squares are done. It's between French fries and mini cheddars. So the next one is coming in now. I'm going to hold the bag further away because you seem to <laughs> know too much. You seem oh, to have an awareness. I know. So at arm's length, I've removed the next snack from the bag <laughs> and I'm popping it in now. Here we go. That's got, oh, that's a cheddar. It is that's a mini a cheddar. cheddar. <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> oh, three out of three for Ola. There's no stopping this woman. Oh, Absolutely insane. Like double fisted in the air celebration right now. I'm so happy with that. I mean, the, uh, and then the, the last one is, I mean, obviously we know which one it is, but I'll do one just for the record. And here goes a French fry. Oh, do you know what? I am glad you didn't do the French fry before. I might have been thrown by that. I was expecting a more melty sound. Yeah, I, I actually, when I did it, I thought, well, that sounded quite similar to a square crisp. Yeah. Or even, even, even a midi cheddar. There wasn't yeah. quite as much kind of um, separation in terms of crunchy sound. Yeah. Well, I'm going to seal those up with a peg and use them for the next, just to save on the budget. <laughs> <laughs> use those for the next edition of Guess That's Night. But Ola, 100%. Well done. Oh. I'm so relieved. I'm so competitive with myself. That's brilliant. <laughs> I think the thing I like that, um, again, just a little bit of feedback from, from my point of view there. Quite often people ask me for a second crunch. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. I, you, you think you're the only person that's gone through with such an immediate answer after only one crunch. So I think I might award you an extra point. So Yay! you've got five, five out Yay! of four there. And I think you're way ahead <laughs> in the snack rankings, which is going to be difficult to overhaul. Anyway, oh, right. Brilliant, okay. Brilliant. Great stuff. Okay, all <laughs> up. Um, this is. It's kind of a cycling podcast, but as, you, as you've already known, we're 45 minutes in. And I don't think we've even talked about bike racing much <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah. But. Um, Okay, why the cycling focus? I mean, you've obviously worked uh, in print journalism, you moved through to radio, to TV, and then latterly at Sky, you um, you covered the Olympic Games um, on a couple of occasions, 2012 and 2016, mm-hmm. and it was 2010, wasn't it, that you got into, into cycling a little bit more. Can you just talk about a little bit about how you eventually started covering cycling and and kind of where you are now in relation to cycling as well, because you just you just appear to absolutely love it. Yeah, I do. I really do. Um, I don't hide that very well. Um, but yeah, I think my journey with cycling has has changed a lot since I started covering it. So the reason I got into it really is because I um, I was appointed Olympics correspondent at Sky News. And yeah. it was 2010, as you say. Um, good research, by the way. Um, nice. And yeah, after the Beijing Olympics, cycling was the big thing, you know, and I think Beijing really brought it to the fore. And so um, I thought, well, that'll be my the first sport that I get into. I think actually I did handball and whitewater rafting first, wow. technically, okay. but right. cycling was the one that I thought I've got to get my my head into this. Okay. So um, the uh, there was a World Cup in um, 2009, 2010, I think, uh, somewhere in Central Europe that I went to. Um, and I had read before that, I'd read Richard Moore's heroes villains and velodromes okay and i maybe read something else i'm not sure but you know how when you read a book about something it may it sort of mythologizes it you know and it sort of brings you into it in a a different almost romantic way i think um 
And so reading that just before going to meet essentially the people who are in that book, because it's a book about um, the the track cycling squad from 2008, essentially. Okay. Um, and so I was meeting all of those people. Um, like, you know, it was my first time meeting Chris Hoy and Rob Heels. I was really nervous meeting Rob Heels because he was this Blimey. giant to me in, in the book. <laughs> I know. Um and so I, so I went to that and I just kind of, I loved the arena of it. I loved the velodrome itself. I just found there was so much romance to the boards in a way. Yeah. And the fact that um, almost the tedium of the training, the fact that these guys and, and women, I say guys in general, by the way, when I'm talking about men and women, um, that their training essentially involved just going around and round and round and round in circles fascinated me. Um, but then, you know, with the way that a velodrome comes to life and the way that fans breathe life into it and almost lift the roof of it and fill every square centimetre of airspace of it, I find really, really interesting. And then shortly after that, I was told that Sky were going to start um, a road cycling team. Yeah. And I was the only person in Sky, be it Sky Sports or um, Sky News at that time, who'd done anything to do with cycling. And so I was kind of told, okay, brief yourself on road cycling because it's going to be a big deal. Right. And so I did that and I, I ended up um, going to um, Quirata in Italy uh, oh, yeah. to do the live announcement of the first members of Team Sky. So there was Geraint Thomas was there. Um, oh. Who else was there? Ian, was Ian Stannard there? Ben Swift was yeah. there, even though he wasn't signing for Team Sky, but you know, it was all the GB guys. Yes. Um, and so then seeing where these guys trained and the complete contrast to the velodrome and the beauty of the landscape, and um, I just thought, mm, maybe there's something to this sport. And then my first race was the Giro d'Italia. And yeah, from okay. that moment, I was hooked. Seeing yeah. the color, the noise, the fans, the whole circus surrounding the buses and the teams and, and and what I found really rewarding straight away was that that it was such a complex sport in so many ways and I found that the more I got into it the more I dug into it the more there was to learn and I love learning things and I just thought wow there's so much history to this so many characters also my brother was really into cycling at the time and so it was a kind of a thing for us to bond over you know we'd chat sure. about um different races and riders and stuff and also then to go back to what I was saying about A.P. McCoy and my chat with him and what I, you know, I find whenever he's bringing me into his darkness, I find darkness very attractive in a weird way. Sure. Um, because and there's a so lot, there has yeah, been a lot of that in cycling, isn't it? Let's be well, honest. Exactly, been... <laughs> exactly. But that's it, you know, and yeah. I find like there's so much darkness even to the successes. And I don't just mean the doping. I, I you know, I mean the what drives them to, yeah. to, to, push themselves over and over again to the limit when there's no guarantee, you know. And then I read um, uh, Michael Barry's um, book. Um, what was it? It wasn't Domestique. Oh. What was it called? Oh, man. Le Métier. Oh, Le, Le Métier. Okay, yeah, yeah. And again, that was another introduction to the beauty and the romance and, and the self-sacrifice involved in being a domestique. And all of these things together, I just fell so hard for the sport as a yeah. concept and then the lifestyle of it and the travel and the and the places you visited uh, there, it's just so so it's the richest sport for me in terms of everything and so um yeah I just fell for it I mean you clearly described your kind of um your first immersion into the sport with real eloquence and I, I think there's numerous people who work within sport that, that I've worked with who've come from other sports I think some of the producers at um at Eurosport, actually, who I worked with in over the well last couple of years, who've never who didn't really know much about road cycling, and were sent off pack into a Grand Tour, mm. and then they come off the back of that, and it's their new favourite sport, and they've gone and yeah. bought a bicycle, and um, it really is, it is, it is its own little world. I mean, but once you're inside it, it's actually a big world. But when you step outside of cycling, there's the rest of the world revolving all around it. But it is an immensely rich world, um, troubled at times, mm -hmm. certainly imperfect. But the imperfections—I don't know—we're all imperfect. Every, nothing's perfect at yeah. all. But I think cycling is is beautiful, and um, it's exceptionally compl complicated and rather dysfunctional at the same time. Yeah, but we, yeah. we still love it and we care about it, don't we? And it's it's amazing. I mean, from that point, then did you decide that this is obviously you, you do cover? You, you don't solely focus on cycling, but your career is, has a, has a cycling focus now, doesn't it? But did you, mm -hmm. because of that added kind of love that you'd found, did you actually? 
did you consciously make decisions say look this I, I really want it did you become more involved in the production and decision making in terms of what you did then yeah well I, I decided I wanted to like own the sport in a way yeah, and, and yeah. I mean in terms of like in my newsroom I wanted to be the, the go-to person um, for cycling and then um, I was asked whenever Sky Sports for a while had um, quality cycling rights so we had the rights to the highlights for example of the Giro d'Italia for a few years and so um, I was able to go to the Giro and host the highlights um, Sure. and so in that sense then I became much more involved in the production of it because I scripted everything myself we um, decided on features um, and I became much more involved behind the scenes so so it's a strange thing you you won't necessarily know the difference from the outside, but if you are a um, certainly a television journalist covering a sport, so covering cycling, you go to the event and your job is to find out all the um, the news stories, but to present them in a way that non-cycling fans will understand. So you have to make it's, it incredibly yeah. simplified. Um, yep. And you're not really that interested by and large in the nuances of the racing, you know, because it, it will go completely over the heads of most news viewers. So then when you switch to hosting from inside the sport, then it's completely different and you have to then be across all the racing and the news stories don't come second, but they're sort of given equal billing, I guess, to the racing yeah. stories. Yeah. So that's a very different way of doing it. Um, and once I got into that side of it, then I thought, yeah, this is this is just what I want to do. I just really enjoy. I really enjoy things that are hard, yeah. you know. And I get, I can get bored quite easily. And so sometimes I just make life hard for myself to give myself <laughs> something to do, which is a terrible quality and infuri infuriating for anyone around me. Um, but a good quality uh, for a journalist, though, you know, to, to make things complicated means you're going to work even harder to try and get get the stories out and um yeah. without I mean and, there, and there's a certain complexity in simplifying things as well I mean that's oh. a real art form you know when you're trying to convey the essence of a sport to somebody whether it's tactical nuance whether it's trying to you know um give it get people to know about, about the, the ba a basic understanding of the sport the characters of the sport how how things actually play out cycling is a is a really really difficult proposition and um, the more you learn about it but you still have a job to actually convey that to the general public that in, in being a conduit between a complicated sport that's new to a lot of people, although it's growing, um, and simplifying it so somebody can get a grasp of it, understand it, and then become interested like you. That's a real art. And it's it's something I think we need to give more consideration to in the media, really, um, because because it is you know it's not football, which is very 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 easy to understand. You know, yeah. and, and the most complicated you get is the offside rule, basically. Cycling is really hard to un to convey to a non-cycling fan because there are so many nuances, and and on the surface it looks really simple. You know, it's just uh, men and women riding their bikes A to B. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes what we what we can tend to do in cycling media is presume an awful lot of knowledge and an awful lot of interest. Yeah. And what I would love to be doing much more is opening up the sport to a much wider audience and explaining so much more of what's going on at any given time. Because I've been in the sport and I still feel like a newbie. Yeah. Um, no, I don't have that background that you have, you know, the racing background and that understanding that comes with it. And so I always feel like I'm on the outside of it. And I feel like I'm still constantly learning. And I think, well, hang on a minute. I'm not stupid. Um, and I've been in it for 10 years, so if, or 11 years now. So if I still am learning new things, and surely we need to be aware that people at home don't necessarily know everything that's going on either. You know, and I feel like I'd love to... I'd love to be involved in a way of making it more accessible to more people yeah. and, and easier to understand. And not just easier to understand, actually, but just that people can can celebrate the the nuances of it a little bit more, yeah. you know? Um, that's it's sort of the, gone at a tangent from what we were saying, but... No, no, I, 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 we have gone off on a little bit of a tangent, but it, I think it's just, it's 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 very, very important. You know, when, when you've got something that you love, whether it's kind of... Um, literature whether it's music whatever it whatever it's art whatever it is if you are passionate about something one of the most and we talk about the, the human connection era and and the fact that we are social creatures one of the most natural things to want to do is to share things mm -hmm. that are special to you and when you love something that much you almost have when I, mean, I 
when I find something new and I want to talk to somebody about it, I get really passionate about it. And I, I want to tell people what I know, not because I want to impress them. It's just that I want them to feel that the way yeah. I felt. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Cycling, Join and cycling my party. Ha- it's brilliant. There, yeah. there you go. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But, but, but because cycling is so ridiculously beautifully complex, mm. there's a lot to say. So you've got to be kind of patient. But all, all we want to do is kind of share it. And I, and I think, and what you have done, though, all, you know, you say you, you, feel, you, you still feel like an outsider. You certainly aren't because, you know, you, you you just the intelligence with which you interview people and which you speak to people in the game is is just mind blowing. And it's 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 oh. lovely to see. I don't think there's anybody quite like you at all um, yeah. who have been in. No, who've been in the industry so relative for a, such a relatively short period of time. Um, you know, and it doesn't matter. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, if you haven't raced, you don't really understand. It's yeah, like, well, yeah, really, yeah. do you? You know, you know, there's aspects that you might not be aware of or, or not actually experience close to hand but that doesn't I mean if you applied that rule to the whole of journalism where would we be we'd be you know we'd just be talking to ourselves wouldn't we but uh, to get I'm just going to get to we are we're heading into the kind of nearly an hour now but I just want <laughs> to pick up on a, yeah no we're picking up um, on a point that we're, we're kind of leading to quite naturally actually is this position that you that you now hold and um, you're not just a journalist for me you've become a you know, a spokesperson as well, especially for, for women's rights in sport, particularly in cycling. And um, how do you, I mean, you, how do you want to take that? Because you almost, you'll become, you're, you're a journalist kind of first and foremost, a mother first and foremost, of course, a journalist, but you seem to be, the way that things are kind of moving for you from the outside and looking in on, on what you do, you seem, to, you, you have, a, what I'm trying to say is you have an exceptionally powerful voice, an eloquent, powerful voice, you have a position, you have a lofty position within within the industry. How do you intend to kind of use that moving forwards? Um, well, thank you very much. It's hard to know what kind of a voice you have from the outside. Um, but I feel like I do have, a, so I feel like I've got, I've grown into this position where I maybe have a bit of responsibility to try yeah. to, to try to make things better, I guess. Um and it's it's something that I've only just come to the realization of, I think, in the last year or so. And I'm trying to work out what my voice should be and and how best to use it and how best to to fight for things, really. Um, and so I don't really know what the answer to that. And I feel like once you keep when you keep working in an authentic way, if that's not too silly a word to use, but if you, if you work in a way that's true to yourself and true to your values, I feel like it leads you where you should be yeah. mostly. And, and that, you know, we all have obstacles and everything, but I feel like I have made connections within this industry with people who I'm hoping can, can make a difference in, in sport. And I just feel, I just, I feel really passionately, really passionately about sport as a force for good. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying at the start. Um, and my my experience of sport as a girl was that it was an entirely level playing field in that I, I trained with the boys. We were all, you know, we went to competitions together. They yeah. had their competition, I had my competition. But, you know, if you trained hard enough, then you won. And if you didn't, you didn't win. Or if you weren't talented enough, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it gave me such that I didn't realize until until about five years ago, I realized how much strength and confidence that gave me all the way through my life and that's why I feel for girls in particular because when growing up as a girl and into a woman is all about I've realized um constantly having your eyes open and constantly being told the way you look at the world sorry no that's not the way the world is look at it this way instead and then you think okay I've got my parameters now and then somebody says no 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 you're not allowed to do that either take that so off so it's, okay. con- it's social conditioning isn't it I mean, social uh, conditioning yeah. and in a way that I feel like males don't have you know because yeah. it's a man's world and so we are constantly told you must look at the world through men's eyes and sure. men are never told you need to look at the world through women's eyes and so I feel like we're constantly our world is constantly either made smaller or just reframed in so many ways and sport wasn't that for me. And I feel like if I can pass that on to our for, to our daughters for a start, yep. um, to give them the confidence to to use their body as a tool, to work on their minds as um as an as a muscle, if you like, then it gives you so much through life, but also to other women, like as an as an adult now, I came I went away from sport for a while, you know, I, I went out and partied, I drank a lot. Um, and I sort of lost myself and I came back to myself through sport and it's that 
empowerment that I find so important for women in particular. Um, And and that links into the elite because if we don't have an elite that is respected and paid and protected, and, you know, we had the UK government recently trying to um, stop the Women's FA Cup and allowing the Men's FA Cup to go ahead. And what that says to us about our role in society (laughs) is just so heartbreaking. But I find that, you know, if we can strengthen women through sport, even if you don't do sport, I don't care. But if yeah. you can see that we have an equal standing in some way in that field, then that is so visible, you know, and it's something that is a huge marketing tool for so many companies. And and it's just empowering as a gender. And that's where I find my drive when it comes to any kind of, I, I, I don't know if I campaign, I don't know, but it's, it does shape my journalism and it shapes the things that I write about. And I'd like to be able to find a better vessel for all of those thoughts, you know, and yeah. try to make, just make things better. Because I think, We've only got one life and you, you want to leave your corner of the world a little bit better than when you come in. And maybe that's just wishful thinking. I don't know. I yeah. might lie on my deathbed and think, well, that was that was all um, I, I nice just, to think just, about, but it didn't quite happen, you know? Yeah. No, it just from from my perspective and, and reading and, and watching what you do, um, although I, I'm not aware that you're directly involved particularly in anything, that was what mm. I, was, I was asking. Mm. You, you, you kind of, and when I say overstepped, I don't mean that. In terms of you've become, you know, um, not just somebody who reports on the news. Mm. You, you are becoming almost like the news yourself with a, and a force for good. And uh, it appears to me, and I may be wrong, that you almost you may be in this kind of transitional period. And I don't know. You, do you mm. have to? Do you see yourself in the future as somebody that could hold a position, you know, of of, of kind of some sort of authority to to kind of look at things like this in, in the future, or do you see yourself continuing to just be um, somebody who? uses your profile as a platform for pre-existing organizations i mean it's just quite i just see it quite in the way your your that things are developing for you you seem to be one of the the few people the few women out there with a an exceptionally strong voice that that is trying to affect change it feels like you're reading my mind map this is really (laughs) really weird honestly i've had this conversation with myself over the last week um where i've I guess maybe the last month, certainly, but over the last week, I've, I've been thinking to myself, where do I take this? Where do I take yeah. this drive to do better? And so I don't know yet. I yeah, don't know. Sure. I'm not I'm not actively involved in any associations to affect change, um, but I'm closely associated with, for example, you know, my friends are in the Cyclist Alliance. And so I try to um, use my journalism to highlight any good that they're doing and, and help yes. in any fights that I think are worthwhile. So do I keep using my journalistic voice to um, to give strength to campaigns or do I do I change into more of a role where I'm trying to be that change myself? I really don't know because all I've ever done is journalism, you know, and yeah. I feel like the other side of it would be feels almost overwhelming you know how do you run an organization how do you run a campaign without becoming bogged down in all the detail because the detail is what matters you know and um so I really don't know I do feel like I'm a bit of a transition I mean I feel like I'll keep doing the way I'm doing it not for as long as I can necessarily but certainly the next few years you know I'd like to I don't feel like I'm done with my presenting and my journalism I I don't know if I'll, I'll never be done with my journalism and writing but certainly the broadcast the television side of things I'm aware you know like it or not it's just the, it's just the way it is right now women have a shelf life on television you know but that's fine because because I don't want to keep doing the same job forever you know I want to you always need to evolve and move things on and um you know push for new goals so I but I just don't know yet what they'll be but I feel I can come back to me in five years time Matt I yeah. might have a better idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry to be so kind of nebulous there that you know you, you kind of just watching from afar it's just sort of wonderful to see the way that your career has kind of unfurled and and, and, and I'm and I know that there's going to be you, you're going to have you know a wonderful next few years nobody knows what's what the future yeah, holds but uh, I know you're, you're certainly going to have a fun one and it's going to be it's going to be wonderful to watch that is for sure. I mean, you've been a, a great, a great guest. All I do still have a couple of kind of weird, strange requests. As it's me, um, I'm going to change the subject um, quite dramatically. Basically, um, we've got a new section on the show. This is the final section before we we do wrap things up. So I'm going to ask Niall to cue things up. Um, this is hairdryer corner. Oh. <laughs> 
Um, I've loved your hairdryer stories. Oh, thank you very much. I was oh, leaning. I didn't. I, I, thank you. At least you're <laughs> one of the people that actually watched them. Um, I was just. <laughs> I was actually just wondering um, whether you have um, a a bad hairdryer experience, or whether you could sort of talk us through that, either in a hotel, either in your your kind of personal life, or or have you had a you know um, a rather budding relationship with, with hairdryers over the years. I have quite a standoff relationship with hair dryers. I feel like okay. I know I should invest in a better one, but I, I don't like ah. to spend too much time on hair grooming. I find it bores okay. me. Um, I right. have had some terrible encounters in the past whereby I've had my the um, the back of the hair dryers come off and so the fan is exposed. Oh. Now, if you ever have an oh, exposed no. fan next to free-flowing hair, it doesn't oh. end well. I've had, I've no. had my hair tangled in the fan had to cut it out i've had hair dryers um sparking almost into flames in my hand but they just leave that sort of singed hair effect oh my god um yeah i uh, i don't i don't have a close relationship with my hair dryer and i feel maybe that's why that's why the karma of hair dryers comes to bite me in the backside all of that was i mean that was a sad tale um, yeah <laughs> all i can all we can hope for in the future is that you can come to terms with the fact that hair dryers can be joyous and can bring yeah, light yeah. to your hair and to your life. <laughs> well, that thank you very much indeed for that. Oh, and that lovely little piano ditty over the top. All that, I'm sorry that ended so strangely. Um, it we could have uh, we could have chatted for another hour or two without a shadow of a doubt. It's been an absolute pleasure. But we are going to have to wrap things up there. But all it's uh, it's been great kind of getting your insight and, and I think giving people a, a little bit of a kind of clue um about what it takes to kind of do do what you do and, and what you, and, and what you've done and, and because you do what you do so well and it's just kind of nice to kind of unpick a little bit and just trying to I don't know trying to get to grips with what's going on in, in your mind Matt thank you so much it's been such a pleasure just sitting chatting to you I've really loved it that's been my favorite interview ever oh, I've loved that's, it that's- that, that's 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 very kind you're of you. So oh, good, I, you're so good. No, that, that that's very very kind. It's kind of even weird that we can't even see each other because people we haven't even got Zoom up. This is just voices, and it is. Kind I know. Of, it's kind of weird, isn't it? it I saw of... red lipstick and everything. I thought I was <laughs> did you? Zoom call. Yeah. Oh weird. no. Well, oh, well, the thing is, I'm actually still in my house clothes. I've got my Star Wars um, <laughs> jogging bottoms on that are rolled up because I'm a bit warm, so they're like a second pair of underpants. Kind of strange. Oh, how lovely! Like like <laughs> like big boy pants. Sort of, like sort of, yes, something like, like that. But yeah. uh, and my hair is completely unkempt and it's very, very high. My hair has got a lot of volume at the moment. But um, anyway, Ola, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been you, lovely. Thank you, you, Matt. You, you take care of yourself and you um, hugs to the family. And hopefully, I'll be able to see you in real life uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Hugs to Holly. Thank you. Cheers. Take care. Fantastic stuff from all of there. What a really inspiring person she is. Now, we honestly could have talked for hours, and I genuinely do hope to get over to Amsterdam as soon as possible. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies? Or if you have one, your TV producer up a tree. And finally, thanks to all of Chinui for being so generous with her time. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time.